Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bible, take it to Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to read a portion of the Christmas story today, and they're going to have it up on the screens. We've been doing a series called Amazing Christmas. How can you and I have a recipe for an amazing Christmas? In Matthew chapter 2, we have the story of Jesus' birth, and we have this introduction of some people from the region of Persia or the Middle East. Let's read together. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. When you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here today to celebrate you, to worship you, and to learn of you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbors. I'm glad you're here today. Someone said there are three great lies about Christmas. Three great lies about Christmas. Here's the first one. Easy to assemble. (laughs) Here's the other one. Unbreakable. And the third one is one size fits all. And this is the time we're buying gifts and we're celebrating Christmas. Uh, I think Waylon told me he wasn't going to buy Wendy a present this year. She hadn't used the weed eater he bought her last year. (laughs) No, he didn't really say that. But it's the time you're trying to figure out, you know, what gift you give and how do you celebrate this. And it's really true. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. And I am probably one of the skeptics to say that Christ probably wasn't born this time of the year. But, you know, it's good to celebrate whenever, right? He's born and he's here, so we're we're grateful for that. And if you've been with us through this series, we began the first Sunday by The Amazing Mystery. Say that with me. The Amazing Mystery. How in the world did God become flesh? That's what Timothy uh, heard from Paul when he wrote the letter to wit, this great mystery, God was manifest in the flesh. And in the Greek, it's the mega mysterion. We, we don't know how it happened, but we know it did happen through the word of God. And here's a little different twist of it. It's divinity in a diaper. 
that the God of heaven wrapped himself in flesh and came and dwelt among us. This is what John said. The word was made flesh, dwelt among us. The original language puts it a little bit different. And this is the way the language reads. It says the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us tabernacled among us. Now, Matt and I did a little study. I, I threw this out and I said, Matt, how long do you think it took to build the tabernacle in the wilderness? And he said, I don't know, Pastor, I'll research that out because I had this in my mind. And so when we researched it out, we found out that it took Moses and Israel to build the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now, this is not a structure that is like a permanent structure. It is a tent, large, and that's where they put the Ark of the Covenant in. And they had to make the vessels and all the things for that. And it was covered in skins. And it's rather large, but this tabernacle moved with them. And so we researched this, and can I tell you how long it took them to build the tabernacle in the wilderness? About nine months. About the same amount of time it was for Mary to give birth to Jesus. Both of them arrived at the same time. So God came to tabernacle among us. He pitched his tent among us. And guess what? Wherever we go, just like the tabernacle, he goes with us. Isn't that good news? That the God of heaven is there with you and with me. It is an amazing mystery. The second thing we talked about was the amazing mission. And we know that Jesus came, according to Scripture, to save his people from their sins. And then we begin to define who's his people. Well, was it just Mary and his stepfather, if you will, Joseph? Was it just his brothers? Was it just his relationship, his family? Was it just the Jews? Or was it just the people at that time? But we got a clue here, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so if we believe that he is the creator, then we're all his people, aren't we? So the mission was to come and seek that which was lost. And today we're going to talk about how to have an amazing Christmas. It's the amazing message. Say that with me. The amazing message. Now let's all say it. The amazing message. And this amazing message actually began centuries before the message of the prophets began to come to us. It wasn't just the message of Luke and Matthew. It was the message that had predated, if you will, this time in Bethlehem. Uh, Isaiah prophesied that a virgin would give birth. Now that's a heads up right there, isn't it? A virgin, a woman that had never been with a man is going to have a baby. That's a miracle. And uh, he began to prophesy about that. And we're going to call his name Emmanuel, God with us. Micah gave a prophecy fulfilling and foretelling that the ruler and the shepherd of Israel would come out of a small town named Bethlehem. And let me tell you when he said this. About 700 years before Jesus was ever born. Now, I don't know about you, but for someone to predict the future, to prophesy something 700 years like Isaiah, like Micah, is really amazing. Now, not only did Micah say that this birth would be in Bethlehem, this ruler would come out, this shepherd would come out, but he said this shepherd was from everlasting. How many of you know Jesus didn't begin in Bethlehem? He preexisted before Bethlehem. And now Micah is prophesying that. Jeremiah prophesied about Rachel weeping for her children and she would not be comforted. It talks about Herod killing the babies two years old and under so he could eradicate any threat to the throne. And so 
Jeremiah prophesied about that. Even Balaam. Do you remember Balaam? Who was a prophet, but yet he was a prophet that tried to prophesy against Israel. Balaam prophesied that a star would rise up out of Judah. That a scepter would be elevated out of, out of Judah. You know what he's saying? There's going to be a king out of this people. And he prophesied about that centuries before Jesus ever came. Now, why would we even discuss that today? Why would we even talk about it? Well, let me give you a heads up. The odds of someone fulfilling eight biblical prophecies. We have any mathematicians here? How many of you know you can't determine who your parents are? Now, some of you may want to think about that. You can't determine who your parents are. You can't determine where they come from. You can't determine what blood lineage they're from. You can't determine where you're going to be born. There's so many things that's really out of your control. You know, if Mary and Joseph had not been a part of the Roman Empire, they would have not been commanded to go to Bethlehem for the census and the taxes. And if Mary had given birth anywhere on the way, it would have interrupted biblical prophecy. If something had happened on the journey, it would have interrupted biblical prophecy. So there's so many things out of our control. But just to fulfill eight biblical prophecies about Jesus, this is the odds. It's 10 to the 17th power. So you put a 1 up there, and you put 17 zeros behind it, and you get into the quadrillions. Say that with me. Quadrillions. I just kind of like saying that. Quadrillions. Now, that's eight biblical prophecies. How many of you know you would have better odds of winning the lottery than fulfilling those eight biblical prophecies. But if you fulfilled 40 biblical prophecies, the odds would be 1 in 10 and put the 1 and put 157 zeros behind it. And I can't even tell you what that number would be. 1 with 157 zeros behind it. And do you know there's over 300 biblical prophecies that Christ fulfilled? You know what God wanted you to know? You got the right one, baby. That's really true. So for us to see this divine message being spoken before Jesus ever arrived in Bethlehem is an amazing, amazing thing. Now, somehow these wise men we read about ended up in Bethlehem. How did they know? It's kind of sketchy. This is what we think. We think probably they had heard some of the teachings and the writings of Daniel because Daniel was in the same region that they were. We also know that these guys studied the stars, and we know there was a star that appeared and led them to where the Christ child was. Look at chapter 2, verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and fell down or bowed down and worshipped him. Now, I want to give you some observations this morning. If you have pencil and paper, you can write it down. But these wise men, called the Magi, came to a house, not a stable. So Jesus is probably not a small baby at that time because the scripture says they came to the child. Everybody say child. So they came to a house, not the stable, not the child, uh, not the baby, but the child. And they bowed down and worshiped him. It does not say they bowed down and worshiped them. Okay, some of you, let, let me preach this section over here. They bowed down and worshiped him. That's important. They did not bow down and worship them. 
So they bowed down and worshiped him. When the wise men came into the presence of Christ, they worshiped. Christmas is so much about worship. The message of Christmas is so much about worship. I, I know, listen, Carrie and I are buying presents. She's cooking. She's cleaning. How many of you know you can get overloaded? I deserve a better amen than that. You can get overloaded. And some of you who are younger, you're yet to be overloaded. Your day's coming. I deserve a better amen than that for that. When the wise men came to his presence, they worshiped. They came, now listen, they came in expectation. That they were looking, they were searching, they were inquiring, they came in expectation, and they said, We're here to worship this one who is born. Now, Herod, he said, Well, find him and let me know so I may worship him also. How many of you know Herod's a big liar? Okay, liar, liar, pants on fire, Herod. So Herod's a liar. He's not looking to worship him. He's looking to kill him. He's looking to take him out because he wants no threat to his throne, his power, his position. So he says, let me know that I may worship. Now, the wise men truly came to worship. Herod did not. So as they come, they come in expectation. Worship and worshiping in faith is worshiping in expectation. You know, sometimes when you worship, things aren't going right. Have you ever come to church and you're worshiping and things are not going right in your life? But you worship anyway. You know why you worship anyway? You worship in faith. And I worship in faith. And sometimes I, I, I sit over here or, and, and I lift my hands and, and, and I, I give the, the voice out. And inside of me, not everything's right. Have you ever come to church that way? And I look at some of you, and I, I see sometimes people on our platform and in, in, in musicians and different people here, and I see them worshiping, and they're lifting their hands, and I know something about their life. I know they've had a bad week, or there's been a death in their family, or, or they're going through a difficult time. But you know what? In spite of that, they're still worshiping. If you and I only worship when we feel like, that's not worshiping in expectation. That's not worshiping in faith. How many of you know we have to worship lifting up a God who's bigger than anything we're facing? So we worship because our God is bigger than anything we're going through. He's bigger than the giant Goliath, right? He's bigger than your financial difficulties. He's, he's bigger than your marriage, bigger than your kids. He's bigger than your health. God is just bigger, and we worship the mighty God that we serve. And let me tell you what happens. We get our mind off of our problem, and we get our hearts on our solution. <laughs> we come to worship in expectation, and that's exactly what the wise men did. Now, here, here's another thought. They worship exceedingly. You say, what does that mean, they worshiped exceedingly? The Bible says that they had exceeding great joy, verse 10, when they saw the star over Bethlehem. Exceedingly great joy. Do you know it's all right to have joy? It's all right to let your emotions come forth out of worship and out of praise to God who loves you, the God who has, you know, provided for you, the one who saves you. And so they were exceedingly joyous. 
Now, I know that there are churches, you come in, you sit down, you don't move, you don't do anything. But um, how many of you know that's not the church we're in? And that wasn't what the wise men did. They came in expectation. They came with exceedingly great joy when they saw the star. And when they saw the child, the Bible says they bowed down, they fell down, and worshipped him. Their worship was expressive. Not just an expectation, not just an exceeding great joy, but their worship was expressive. I did a little research from that culture in Persia, Babylon, Assyrians. The worship was you would fall on your knees and your forehead would hit the floor. That's how you showed obeisance. That's how you showed submission. That's how you showed humility. That's how you showed worship. They would come, and that's exactly what the wise men did. When they walked in, they saw Mary holding this child. They fell, and they put their foreheads on the floor as they worshiped the child. I'm getting God bumps just thinking about that. They worship the child. Many of you here have not been taught expressive worship. Some of you have been taught against expressive worship. The lifting of your hands, the clapping of your hands, or expressing um, joy and gratitude or uh, bowing in the presence of God or worshiping in the presence of God. And you know, there's a difference between a sing-along and a worship. There's a difference between a sing-along and a worship. A lot of people in church, they're singing along. Some people are worshiping. And it's two different things. So this expressive worship that they're showing us is a part of the message of Christmas. You see, some of you, you know, I'm an observer up here. And um, a lot of times when people come to our church and they come out of a different, you know, uh, denomination or different uh, style, and they'll look around. There's people, you know, during worship, they're lifting their hands. You say, why would you do that? Well, it's kind of biblical. Why would you do anything biblical in church? <laughs> I will lift my hands to you as the evening sacrifice. That's what the Bible says. Or, or, or they, 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 they express through their, their voice. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Clap your hands, all you Pentecostals. No, that's not what it says. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. Expressive worship. Or it could be just acknowledging the truth. Kind of like, you know, we're doing now. Hopefully in the message there's some truth there. And if, if there's truth, you know, you, you have the license to say amen. Or hallelujah. Or praise the Lord. Or go get them, Mike. I mean, whatever you want to say. <laughs> And I'll guarantee you, it helps up here. If you've ever been on this platform, it's good to see somebody connecting with you while you speak. So there's the expression of truth. You're identifying with the truth that's going out. Because the word amen, when we say amen, it means that's right. So be it. This is what we agree. This is what we believe. Because it's the word of God. Now, some of you have experienced expressive worship gone wild. Everybody all right? How many of you know there's a balance to this? I mean, I would rather to go to church where somebody didn't knock me down. Or I am required to give a courtesy drop for somebody. Some of you will get that on the way home. 
But how do you know, you get over here, it's just dull and cold and boring, and we're just going through ritual and routine. But you get over here, how many of you know sometimes somebody's flesh gets into the way? And, and so somewhere in the middle is real, authentic, excitable, expressive, wonderful worship and expectation of what God's going to do in our life. And do you know the wise men kind of brought that message to us? They came and they bowed. Verse 11 in their worship says they opened up their treasure. Guess what? When you come in, you and I are to open up our treasure. You say, uh oh, he's going to talk about money. Well, I could talk about that, but really I'm not going to talk about money. How many of you know the treasure that you have and the treasure I have is far more than money? Do you know when I got up this morning and Carrie got up a little bit before me and Aaron and Natalie and the baby are here and so when I was laying in bed, Carrie brought in this little bundle of joy and sat right there in the bed with me. You know what she brought to me? She brought treasure to me that drooled all over my sheets. <laughs> but how many of you know, at Christmas, some of the greatest things is not, <laughs> it's not the tinsel, it's not the present. It's just us being together. And when we're together, that's the wonderful part of it. It's being with family. It's being with people you love. It's just giving those expressions, those tokens of the treasure that we have. They open up their treasure. You see, true worship will be sacrificial. True worship will be sacrificial. It's going to cost you something, and there is some part of you that is going to be involved in that worship. You become a living sacrifice according to Scripture. Let me read verse 10 to you again. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary and his mother. They fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now notice something here. What type of presents did they give Jesus? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now say that with me. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are valuable gifts, but there's a message behind the gifts. Many of you know this. Some of you don't. There's a message behind the gifts. Gold is a gift for a king. It is the most um, wonderful commodity in that day and time. Still today, if you don't have any gold that you want to keep, give it to me, okay? So gold is a gift for a king, royalty. Jesus did not become king of the Jews. He was born king of the Jews. Where is he who is king of the Jews? Not he who is going to become king of the Jews. He is the king of the Jews. Matter of fact, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So the gold is brought for a king. But the frankincense is a gift for a priest. Now, you know how they get frankincense? Frankincense is, if you will, a, a, a secretion from a tree. It is the sap of a certain type of tree. You know how they get the sap from this tree? They come and they pierce it and cut it. And as they cut the tree, these little drops of resin begin to bleed out of these stripes in the tree. By his stripes we are healed. And they, 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 they cut the tree, they stripe the tree, and this oozing of resin 
comes out and it hardens on the outside and they come and they harvest the resin. And you know what they did with the resin? They made incense out of the resin. The priests would use this very thing that the kings brought. These wise men, these magi, the three kings from the east. And we don't know how many. There might have been a dozen. We got three gifts. We always say three kings, right? We three kings of Orient are. There might have been a dozen. There might have been, you know, more than that. I don't know. But there are three gifts specifically. Gold, royalty for a king, frankincense for a priest, and myrrh. Now, what's myrrh? Well, myrrh is also a type of what we would call an ointment or something along those lines that is for the Son of God who is going to be crucified. You know what they did with the myrrh? It was an embalming agent. It's found at the death of Jesus. They took pounds of myrrh and they wrapped in his body for burial. It was a type of embalming. Now, now notice this. This embalming nature, we have three things here. He's the king, amen? He's the priest. He's also the Savior who's going to die for the world. And this Savior is presented prophetically, I think, with the gifts to show his royalty as a king, his nature as a priest, and also that he's going to die and he's going to have the myrrh wrapped in his body. Now, here's an interesting verse, and many of you probably haven't heard this, but I want to share something with you, maybe new. In Isaiah, Isaiah gives a prophetic word that aligns in some way with the Christmas story. This is Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6, and I want to read part of it. The dromedaries of Midian and Ephah and all those from Sheba shall come and they shall bring gold and incense. And the word incense is actually the word frankincense in the language. They shall bring gold and incense or frankincense. Now to understand this verse, how many of you know you have to interpret the Bible in the context of where it is? You can't just take one verse out of context and then interpret it. Can I give you some other verses that will help you and I interpret this? Verse 19, the sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor your brightness shall the moon give light to you. But the Lord will be to you an everlasting light and your God your glory. We'll drop down to verse 21. And your people shall, be, shall all be righteous. How many of you know all of us aren't righteous now? Okay. How many of you know all of us aren't righteous now? Okay, your people shall all be righteous. Key word all. Your people shall all be righteous. You shall inherit the land forever, forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified, and the little one shall become a thousand, a small one, a strong nation. I, the Lord, will hasten it in its time. So he's talking about something in the future. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about when he makes everything right, Christ returns, he's the king. How many of you know everything will be good at that time? But I want you to know something. Do you remember what he said the king shall bring to him? Gold and frankincense. What was left out? Myrrh. Why did Isaiah leave out the myrrh? Because he died once and for all. After he rose again, he's never going to die again, and there is no need for myrrh any anymore. Can I, can I hear an amen? I think well, that, that's, that's a celebration. Isaiah, what are you saying? He says they're going to bring you gold and they're going to bring frankincense, but no myrrh. Why? He has risen to never die again. 
Wow, that's exciting. That's a message to us. That's a message to you. Do you realize in this Christmas story, so many people had a message to tell. Elizabeth had a message, didn't she? When Mary came, Elizabeth six months pregnant, Mary shows up. John the Baptist, who's only six months de developing in the womb of Elizabeth, leaps for joy. Now, I don't know what it would be like to have a baby in your womb leap for joy. Woo! And the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Six months in the womb. Leaps for joy. And then when she hears what Mary is saying, she begins this discourse and it's almost like a song. Many people consider it a song. It's the song of Elizabeth. What's she doing? She's sharing her message. And then we have what we call the magnificent. Mary now, she begins to give her message. We call it the song of Mary. And then Zechariah, later on when John is birthed, gives his message, or we would call it the song of Zechariah. Then the shepherds, they hear the song of the angels in the fields and the angels are singing glory in the highest goodwill peace on earth and they're giving the message and then when they bring Jesus into the temple to have him uh, dedicated circumcised Simeon is there and the Bible says Simeon got there because he was led there by the Holy Spirit so Simeon comes in he sees this young couple come in with a baby now how many of you know it must have been different back then than it is today you have an old man coming up and grabbing the baby out of your arms. How many of you know you might punch him in the nose? But different culture back then. So Simeon comes up. He takes the baby from Mary, lifts him up, and said, I can now go home in peace. And he's talking about dying because I have seen the salvation of God. Wow. And then he goes into this song. You know what's happening? Everybody in this story has a message to share. And guess what? Everybody here has a message to share. Everybody here. Now, if you're born again, if you believe in Christ, if you've experienced the love and the peace and the joy of God, you have a message. Do you realize that if everybody here shared the message, every Sunday we wouldn't have enough room to get everybody in here? All we have to do is share the message. And you say, well, what message do I have to share? Your story. How did he find you? Where were you? What happened to you? How did God get your attention? And nobody knows your story like you know your story. Nobody knows your message like you know your message. And here's the sad part about it. Some people are going to have a message and it's going to sound like this. I missed my opportunity. I, I could have changed my life. I, I could have accepted Christ. I, I could have went the right way, but I chose not to. And let me tell you, that message in the end is a horrible message. But the message today is that we are redeemed, we are loved, we are free from our sin because he took my sin to the cross. He paid the debt that I could not pay and he took my sin and he gave me his righteousness. We sing about that this morning. The righteousness of God came to me because of what Jesus Christ did. I could not be good enough, rich enough, moral enough. I could not be anything enough. I am totally depraved, and I have no remedy outside of Christ as my Lord and Savior. You realize I just preached the gospel to you? That's the gospel. 
He lived, he died, they buried him, he rose on the third day, he reigns in glory. And if you come to him and if I come to him, we have an amazing ending because we heard an amazing message. And we responded to the message. And if you responded to the message, guess what? You don't need the sun. You don't need the moon. The lamb will be the light of that city. You will have his righteousness. And you will live forever in a place that's going to be better than your house. Right? So, Pastor, I got a pretty good house. I'm pretty sure it's going to be better than your house. You know why? Because of Christ coming on that first Christmas. And his mission to seek and to save that which was lost. To save his people from their sins is that amazing message that we receive. But it's not just the message we've received. It's the message we tell. You want a Christmas song? Trust me, I'm not going to sing. Chris did a great job of singing. I think I still have some of his feathers still on me. But go tell it on the mountain, right? Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is Lord. You and I have an amazing message that we have heard, we have received, we have believed, and we have been changed by that message. I have stood here before you numerous times and I've said this to you. And I'm being very transparent. I do not know if Carrie and I would still be married today if we had not heard an amazing message and had an amazing change in our life. And I don't know where you're at today. Don't know what your struggle is. Don't know what your battle is. I don't know what your resistance is. But I know this. Today you heard a message of hope and deliverance, of eternal life, salvation. And Jesus is our amazing, amazing Savior. Would you bow your head with me right now? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.